Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Holy wisdom is not clear and thin like water, but thick and dark like blood. Welcome to Deep Dive 10, the 239th episode of Three Penguins and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of C.S. Lewis. Our opening and closing music is credited as Frostwaltz Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. I'm Jackson, Ode's brother. And could you say that any faster, the Incompetech... I don't know, I say it every week, so like I just, I just spin through it at max speed, I guess. I think that was the fastest yet, actually. It was pretty quick. I'll have to I'll have to time it when I do the edit and see exactly how fast I got that out. So housekeeping, but did anyone did anyone have yet. anything planned for housekeeping? No. Anything we need to discuss? No. 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 We have no housekeeping. So no housekeeping for this episode. We are no. house kept and house swept. All right. We're a little I mean, disorganized today. Oh, do you have? No, I'm just y'all will probably see me on the on the podcast less in a couple of months. Oh, that's oh, true. That's, that's right. true. Do you have an announcement? Um, I might have to, like, if y'all want me to Skype in every now uh-huh. and then, yeah. but come end of September, I'll, I'll be off and away to school again. Yes, he will yep. be in another country entirely. And mm-hmm. we are very proud of him mm-hmm. for making that whole dream happen. Yes, which which degree is this you're going to be getting now, Jackson? There's one, two, three, four. Three, four? <laughs> Four. He's got a bunch. He's, He's got, got a bunch. bunch of degrees. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, and you, it's you know, you'll be an extra special guest when you right when when, when we have topics that you really want to chime in on. Which we we'll have, have, we'll have, have to do in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of happens now. Uh-huh. It's just not in the middle of the night. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. The time difference is going to probably be discouraging. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But you know we love you, and you'll be the wild Jackson once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We've domesticated him long enough. <laughs> we have to release him. Uh-huh. Go be wild and free. Back into the Reintroduced wild. back into the population. <laughs> <laughs> He's been rehabilitated. That's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Now we're house kept and house swept. Elle says, something, something, degrees George should not have been counted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very much like that, yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's a deep dive, and we're going to talk about various deities, like you do on a deep dive. That's, well, like we do. Like yeah. we do on a deep dive. Yep, yep, yep. So, Jackson, how about you go first this time? Okay. The The first one that I did is just a, a deity that I hadn't really heard of before, that but I found particularly interesting. There's really very, very, very little known about her. Mood. It's a, a Hindu goddess, a Hindu lunar goddess worshipped in Java and Bali. There we go. Mm, okay. Uh, she's called Dewey Rati. Ooh, how's that spelled? Uh, D-E-W-I space okay. R-A-T-I-H. Okay. There we go. And I got a phonetic uh, spelling or pronunciation rather of the second word. So it's Rati. Okay. So basically the only things that she is really known for are lunar myth associated with her an eclipse myth. And that she is known to be incredibly beautiful and is a goddess of beauty and grace on top of this eclipse myth. And that is it. Wow. (laughs) Do we know what she looks like? Um, There are a couple of representations and she's just this very sort of beautiful sort of flowing kind of black hair i believe okay. like 
very, very pretty representation. Interesting. That is it. Wow. Not much yeah. to go off of. Very, very, very limited. Mm-hmm. So the the myth in question is that Kala Rao, a demon from hell, and there's a couple interpretations of this, so uh-huh. this is the one that I'm going with, was rejected by Dewey Rati. Like as a like as a romantic partner or mm-hmm. okay. Uh she too pretty for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and snuck into heaven and stole a cup of Amrita, which would have given him immortality. I was gonna say Amrita sounds familiar. Mm. But she like told on him to Ooh, she snitch. Wisnu or Vansu or Vasnu or what like one of the, the head gods. Okay. Um, or the head god, I'm not quite important. sure. Important. 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 important figure who decapitated Kala Rao as he was drinking ah, Amrita. Wow, that's oh, rough. Okay, yeah. Um, Swift justice. Mm-hmm. So the demon's body died. But the head, the head is, already is already immortal. Oh, creepy. <laughs> In some variations, the demon's body then falls to earth and becomes a rice-pounding block. And his head remains immortal and is just sort of floating around in space, mm-hmm. in, in the sort of in the, the firmament. The cosmos, uh-huh. and is hunting down mm. Dewey Rati in revenge and tries oh. to consume her. But because he has no body, mm-hmm. he only consumes her but briefly and she comes out of his neck. Mm. I guess the eclipse? The eclipse. So her her light dims and then comes back after she comes out of his neck. Okay. Interesting. That's very clever. And I like spooky. that. Yeah, <laughs> very spooky. Decapitated but, you know, demon head. When you when you think about it, sometimes especially you're sitting there and you're watching the mm-hmm. the lunar eclipse like a full lunar eclipse. Mm-hmm. That can be very creepy. Yeah. You know, especially when it's late at night and mm-hmm. it's quiet mm-hmm. and you see and it turns different it shades just, of red and you know, then just disappears. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. So in one of the sort of other variations of this myth, it wasn't just the uh, the moon. She hadn't, like, rejected him. He was just up there to try to become immortal. Mm. So he was trying to go after the sun and the moon just to, like, steal the deities, the gods' light. Ah. Like you do. Just trying to take their light in general. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the way to thwart him is to use the rice-pounding block that his body has become oh. during an eclipse. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. It's fascinating, the sort of variations that you find. Yeah. Is it dependent on region? I don't know. It doesn't say. Just You just found, <laughs> you just found I just found varieties. these sort of varieties. Interesting. I just decided to go with that one first because she's supposed to be known as this beauty and grace. Right. So mm-hmm. I... Wasn't sure if that was the the more like well known version, and that's mm-hmm. why it's the one I came across. Yeah, there there are these like really interesting ones. So as I was going down this sort of rabbit hole, Dewey Rati and the the moon situation. Yeah, so I started going down this rabbit hole of eclipse myths, mm-hmm. and I found this really interesting tidbit that's more legend than myth okay. about Mesopotamia. Mm. So apparently. Substitute kings were not uncommon in Mesopotamia and Assyria. Now, describe what a substitute king is. So a substitute king is when the uh, astronomical, there we go, I was going to say astrological. Ah. 
uh, when the astronomical like signs are looking sort of hinky as, uh, in terms of eclipses. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so specifically in Mesopotamia, apparently the king was thought to be the representation of the moon god on Earth. Okay. So during a lunar eclipse, it was thought not only to be an attack on the moon, but, but an attack on the king. Okay. Okay. So, and this was not uncommon in the region, apparently. Okay. So eclipses were a time of, like, stress and strife. Right. Bad times for the kingdom. Bad times for the kingdom. Substitute kings were just a thing of where they would take, didn't even have to look like the king. Mm-hmm. They would just take a man <laughs> And put him in place of the king, and he would rule in his stead while the actual king was away safely. In hiding from the eclipse, basically. Yes, in hiding with the eclipse. And sometimes if he had a queen, there would be a substitute queen as well, I believe. And they would just have these substitute rulers in place during the eclipse until it was safe to bring the originals back in place. Decoys. Interesting, yeah. Decoys, yeah. Um, And this was not the only time this was done. If there were other sort of astronomical events that were thought to be dangerous, Mm -hmm. they would put substitute rulers in place. And this would sometimes be quite hazardous for the substitutes. Quite a few Mm -hmm. of them died for a variety of reasons. Would they make actual decisions or would like the actual king? Oh, yeah, they were rulers. Okay. Just, Just temporarily. They were temporary rulers. Um, and they were sometimes assassinated. There was one interesting one where the actual king died from, I think it was written down as, he drank tea that was too hot. So poison, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> while the substitute was in place. Uh-huh. So the substitute continued to rule for another, like, 20, 30 years. Wow. But usually it was the substitutes that were doing the dying for them. Okay. So a really sort of fascinating practice that I got dragged down into mm-hmm. through the eclipse myths. That's very cool. Yeah, that is neat. Well, Gwen, you want to talk about a deity? Okay. Well, since you were talking about the moon... Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the sun. Hey! And this is um, actually from the Sami. Uh, They are native to Finland, Norway, Mm -hmm. Russia, and Sweden. Uh, Their their land is called Sapmi, but we call it in English Lapland. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, overlapped and debatably cultural theft from the Sami in Mm -hmm. uh, heathen uh, spaces. I believe it. I believe it. They're, and they are still, you know, they still live in that region. There's only 2.5 to 5% of the population of the Sami, who are the indigenous people mm-hmm. of that area, uh, still in living in that area. Um, their traditional religion is animistic mm-hmm. um, and are, is considered shamanistic. It includes multiple spirits and they, uh, they revere ancestors, and they have a lot of different deities that are all connected to different things in nature and mm-hmm. things like that. Their goddess, their sun goddess, and I'm going to torture the name, so forgive me, Baby. Okay, how's it spelled? Baby. B-E-A-I-V-I, and that's just one of the spellings. Okay. So, Baby. And because Sapmi is north of the polar circle, where, you know, the sun does not rise in the horizon during winter... Mm-hmm. Uh, the sun was widely venerated and played a major role in their rituals and ceremonies of their religion. And she's also the goddess of spring and sanity. Spring and, and sanity. Yep, spring that and sanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it would, huh? Because <laughs> during summer, too much sun. 
During winter, not enough sun. Exactly. Both those things will fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, of course, she was associated with the fertility of plants and animals. And she, it was considered that um, because, you know, the reindeer is still to this day very uh-huh. yep. important to the Sami, Beve made the plants grow so the reindeer could flourish, bringing wealth and prosperity to the people. So that's, you know, so the reindeer and all of that is all wrapped up into her mythology. On the winter solstice, a white female animal or animals, often a reindeer, Mm -hmm. uh, is sacrificed to baby or was sacrificed to baby to ensure she returned to the world to end the long winter season. And the sacrificial meat was threaded onto sticks, bent into rings and decorated in ribbons for the festival of of baby to uh encourage her to return hmm. try to draw her back hmm. and um when the sun did return in the spring it was a very slow progression right. so they would smear butter on their doors as another sacrifice to her to strengthen baby as she climbed up into the sky higher and higher i guess butter and the sun are both yellow i can see the mm-hmm. association and it was supposed to uh aid her in her convalescence mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because butter's very healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, reindeer butter, I don't know. No, I mean, butter is, oh, if yeah. you live in a northern climate, yeah, like, yeah, butter is, exactly, butter is like very that. healthy for you. Yep, and they would also uh, include butter as part of their, their feast, yeah. their, of, of the festivals. Yeah, that stuff. actually makes a lot of sense. Yep, and then in the summer solstice, people made sun rings with leaves and pinned them around as to honor hmm. Bebe's return. And when she returned, prayers were offered for the mentally ill because the Sami believed that depression and psychoses were provoked by the lack of sunshine and light during the long, dark winter. And they're fucking right. And they're right. (laughs) They're right. Probably everyone there had seasonal depression. Yep. And they have, it's been scientifically, (laughs) medically proven. We know for a fact. Yes. Lack of sunlight will fuck up your brain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then finally, she is also said to travel with her daughter, Bevanita through the sky covered in reindeer bones and antlers as they bring spring Ooh. with them. Fancy. Nice. So that's what I found out about her. Very cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Sami were up yeah. ahead of psychology, Absolutely. apparently. They got that. They got it. I mean, when you're in such an extreme environment, you, you figure have it out. Yeah. A, a really yeah. good like way to observe the effect. Uh-huh. Exactly. Very interesting people, the Sami. Mm-hmm. Who are, very... who are still alive yes, and who still have are. these beliefs and practices. They I do. want to be clear about that. Yes. I know we're using the past tense a lot, but they're, they, yeah. they're still here. Yes, they are still here. Like I said, they make up two to point, 2.5 to 5% of the population in their area mm-hmm. that is considered Lapland. Rannon says, I want to fly through the sky covered in reindeer bones and antlers. That sounds awesome. Right? It does. <laughs> I wonder if those are like the bones and antlers of the sacrificed reindeer. Yeah, I think there's the, probably supposed to From the various to be. rituals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Well, since you covered the sun and the moon, uh, I guess I will do the uh, divine twins who carry the carriage of the sun in Lithuania. All of my deities today are Lithuanian. And I'm going to start with a little note that there is no accepted list of Lithuanian deities. Okay. Because Christians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Because it was oral traditions originally, mm-hmm. and then... In about the 14th to 15th century, Christianity came through mm-hmm. and steamrolled it. Yep. Yeah. And uh, no one was writing it down at the time. 
and they didn't start writing it down a little bit until the 16th century. And then in the 19th century, they looked back at what had been written down in the 16th century and said, hmm, well, that seems fake. Uh, <laughs> and they've been arguing about that ever since. Mm-hmm. So unclear how much of what is currently known about Lithuanian deities is accurate to the pre-Christian period, is accurate to a post-Christian period, or was just made up wholesale. Hmm. So we're just going to do our best here. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> Elle says so many things in our society could be explained with because Christians. Yeah. Yes. It's, um, I was but in, in, in history in particular, that. you could narrow it down a little further to because monks or because missionaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because crusades. Yeah, because crusades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that. Like I said, there's no accepted list of Lithuanian gods. But I found three who are interesting, whether they existed in antiquity or not, and who are part of the sort of modern revival of Lithuanian pagan traditions. So uh, first, I'm going to talk about the, and all these names, I'm just going to take a run at, uh, Asvienii, 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 something like that, spelled A-S-V-I-E-N-I-A-I, and their name means the little horses, oh. and they are a set of divine twins. I couldn't find names for the twins individually, so I don't know if they originally had separate names or if, and we've lost them, or if they, they just come in a pair. Exactly, if they just always come as a set. But they are usually presented as white horses. Um, I saw a couple of modern, it seems like modern reinterpretations, modern like neo-pagan Lithuanian sources who say that they're white horses with golden manes who pull the carriage of Saule, who is the sun deity of Lithuanian pagan religion, a sun goddess. So they are part of a like long tradition in Lithuanian mythology about magical horses who like speak to heroes or um, provide magical services. It seems as though the Asvienii might be the children of the sort of great god, Deivai, hmm. something like that. Um, and it seems like that might be the case because the Lithuanian pantheon is part of a, a group of pantheons called the Baltic pantheons, the Baltic religions. And there are other sets of divine twins in other parts of the Baltic hmm. religious systems. So like in Latvia, um, in Prussia, that kind of area. Um, there are other divine twins who are known to be the children of, like, a high sky god. So it's probable that the Asvienii are also the children of the Lithuanian high sky god, but that's not, like, stated anywhere. But something that I think is really fun about the Asvienii is, although we don't know a whole lot about them and they don't show up a ton in surviving mythology, like, as themselves, um, we do have a lot of white horses that show up in Lithuanian mythology, just out of nowhere, do a thing and then leave. <laughs> so those might be the Asvienii. That's somewhat unclear. <laughs> exactly, but unclear. They might also just be magic, random white horses. Um, but there is a very common motif in Lithuanian houses that the gable, right? So mm-hmm. like the, the join at the top of the roof, so it comes to a point, right? And usually it just comes to a point and that's it. Mm-hmm. These points cross over each other and go up and create a little cross shape. And the shape of the crosses are the Aspianii are two horses oh. 
Um, sometimes with little wing shapes or sometimes with like a sun figure between them to represent the Aspianii carrying Saule's carriage across the sky huh. on the Lithuanian rooftops. And that's supposed to be either said that this is like a protective element or it's sometimes said that this is supposed to help guide the Aspianii. You know, it makes me wonder if uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was inspired by them for Shadowfax. Could the be. The white stallion that was the king of all horses. Mm -hmm. Very much could be. Because um, we know he took a lot of inspiration mm -hmm. from various mythologies. Various European mythologies, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but that's all I have about the Aspianii. That was very cool. Yeah, I think they're neat. And mm -hmm. you should look up the, the Lithuanian uh, rooftop mm -hmm. Aspianii because they're actually mm -hmm. really cool looking. Mm -hmm. They sound cool looking. Uh-huh. They're mostly not white, like, because they're, like, whatever color the trim of the house is. So they'll be, like, oh, red or blue or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they're mostly made out of wood or occasionally they're, um, they're like, they're carved out of the same wood that the house trim, the mm. roof trim, I guess, is made out of. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you'll see, like, really fancy ones that are made out of metal and are just set into the roof. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Join our tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of wonderful body coat. These soaks and scrubs, inspired by popular books and characters, are designed to delight multiple senses, with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find rollerball fragrances and hair oils. With dozens of options available, you're sure to find something you like in the Wonderful Body Co. collection. This week, Ode is recommending the Baba Yaga and the Ancestral Whispers Ode Perfume, with the scents of bergamot, musk, honey, resin, tonka bean, and wood smoke. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com slash shop slash wonderfulbodyco. Hail, Hail Dictinus! Very nice. And I think Baba Yaga is the one you have, yeah? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's my favorite one. That's why I chose it for this week. <laughs> it's, a it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the incense smell. Incense. So, Jackson, what is your next deity? Okay. Goodness. Like a, a an Egyptian deity that I know not a ton about. It's a deity called uh, I think it's Shed. How's uh, it spelled? S H E D, like okay. Shed. Exactly like Shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, from the ancient Egyptian religion, first recorded after the Amarna period. Oh. Shed is identified with Horus, particularly Horus the Child. Okay. Uh, representing the concept of salvation. Hmm. They're really, like, often referred to as the savior. Hmm. Hmm. Um, they don't have a temple or a cult or formal worship. They're who you look to when, like, the, the formalized forms of worship aren't working. So it's ordinary Egyptians that are ill or are in misfortune. This would explain or, why we don't know a whole lot about Shed. Or or are in danger. So they're often depicted as young prince overcoming snakes or lions mm. or crocodiles. Just that kind of, the, the person you go to in, when you're in need, when the state authority or the king's help isn't doing anything. El says the people's god. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that's probably why we don't know a whole lot about Shed, because most of what we have from ancient Egypt is stuff that was about rich people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I just thought it was interesting that regardless of, of how much there is on all the Egyptian deities, mm -hmm. there are still these, these small deities that are sort of scattered around that we still have 
access to, but there's just not much known about them. So mm-hmm. is Shed supposed to be like an aspect of young Horus or like a, a companion of young Horus? I think it's more companion of because okay. it's it's just shed is identified with them mm-hmm. but not like as them okay so like associated mm-hmm. interesting but yeah so they're just a, a sort of interesting always quite young savior figure that's addressed on um i don't know what they are stelle mm. okay um by people searching for or praising him interesting that's very cool that's all I have. I just thought it was interesting. No, yeah. it is interesting. No, yeah. And like I said, the, the reason we don't know more about Shed is mm-hmm. would be because we don't have a lot of preserved records from the poor mm-hmm. of ancient Egypt or yeah. even from normal people of ancient Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it makes sense that they would have their own god to turn to when the, yeah, the the king's justice in doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the pharaoh's mm-hmm. justice, I guess. All right. I'm still with the Sami okay. for, my, for my deities. I also wanted to point out that with the Sami, because they are spread out over four different countries, mm-hmm. that uh, different regions will have variations. different variations yeah. on these various deities or the, the wilderness spirits that they work with, the animal spirits. Uh, the bear is is very important to them. But um, I'm going to talk about two briefly. Mano, the moon goddess, mm. she is considered to be unpredictable potentially dangerous (laughs) (laughs) and um she is worshipped around the new moon but especially at the winter solstice um and it on the winter solstice it is taboo to make any noise Hmm. i want to draw mano's attention yeah yeah so it's it's very interesting um and that's all i could find on her Hmm. just worship this goddess silently Uh uh-huh and in the dark Because it's the new moon, so that's when she's, like, not in the sky. Not in the sky. I find that fascinating. You'd think it would be during, like, the full moon. Mm -hmm. See, but that that would be, like, if they considered her a goddess worth propitiating. If they consider her, like, a scary, sinister goddess. Oh, so you don't want to draw her back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this may be a, um, oh, God, what's it called? There's a specific type of divine relationship where you are specifically trying to avoid the wrath of Mm -hmm. a god. Oh, so Mm -hmm. she's, like, taking a break. You don't want to call her back too soon. Yeah, maybe it's like that. (laughs) Yeah, possibly. And, again, you know, that's all. All I could find, I did try to see if I could find some mythology or mm-hmm. anything. Else. Every single reference just, just said like, these same things this is what we got. about her. Um, and again, it comes down to missionaries coming along, and and uh, you know, a lot of their practices and beliefs were altered or changed, or or just haven't been recorded, or haven't been recorded. Um, and then the next one I wanted to talk about again briefly is Jabme Aka, the Aka of the Dead. She's a goddess of the underworld who soothes the spirits of dead babies, but all other spirits dwell in sorrow. (laughs) Only dead babies. (laughs) Only dead babies does she comfort. Everybody else is fucked. Yep, too bad. And her land of the dead is said to mirror the land of the living where everything is opposite. So the dead are buried with the essentials for living, like knives and, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that you would, you know, bowls and plates and things. And anything that would make their afterlife better. Hmm. 
So, so um, like the Egyptians. Yeah, basically, if, if uh, she's only comforting the babies. Right, everyone every, else is on their own. Everyone else is on their own, so that means you make sure that they have mm-hmm. more that than they, enough. That they can take care of it on right. their own. To take care of things on their own, and so that so they... So, exactly. make sure they got everything they need, because they're mm-hmm. left alone, just babies. And remember, <laughs> I said previously that they, that they venerate their ancestors, and they believe that their ancestors live alongside mm-hmm. them yeah, yeah. at the same time, so... I don't know for sure, but who knows? Maybe part of that is including making sure that, you know, their time in the afterlife is not sad. Right. Like it, is it just that, like, there are so many dead babies she can't keep up with anyone else? I don't or know. Is it this, Maybe she, she just has a, a soft spot for babies. She cares about babies. Yeah. yeah. No, Dwyer, the babies don't get knives. Everybody else <laughs> gets knives. <laughs> the babies have, what's her name? <laughs> Job Mayaka. The babies have Job Mayaka. They don't need knives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot of the. There's like several different deities with the last with Aka as part of it. So and that seems to stand for mother of. Uh, appropriately, my next uh, Lithuanian deity is a goddess of death. There you go. Um, I think her name is pronounced Giltine because mm-hmm. there's a little accent over the e. It's spelled G I L T I N E. And like I said, there's a little accent. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's Giltine. The name probably derives from a Proto-Lithuanian word meaning to sting. Because in some of her appearances, she's said to have a stinger. Like a scorpion? Yeah, something or like that. Or a bee? Yeah, something like that. Hmm. Um, but in other appearances, she doesn't have it. So, unclear. She is the sister, question mark, maybe, of a god of one of maybe two goddesses. Okay, this is a mess. So there are there are... There is at least one goddess whose name is Lima. Okay. L-A-I-M-A. There is maybe a second goddess whose name is Lime. L-A-I-M-E with the accent. It's not clear if these are actually two separate deities or if they're the same deity. Now, Lima is known to be associated with fate and like childbirth and motherhood and those things. And she has other sisters. Giltane is not listed among them. Her other sisters are also associated with fate. And they're sort of like a Nornir Greek fates kind of situation. Lime, with the E apostrophe, is associated with luck or good fortune. But it's not clear if that's the same associations with fate from Lima. So these might be two separate deities. They might be the same deity and Giltane might or might not be the sister of either one of them. Okay. <laughs> I found a lot of contradictory sources on this and no context. <laughs> so, well, you know, word of mouth. Yeah. So I was really not able to determine which of these goddesses, if indeed they are in two separate goddesses, Giltane is maybe the sister of, but maybe one of them is her sister. Okay. What about if it could be both of them and we just don't know? It could, it could be that these are two goddesses and, yeah, that they're sisters, that they're all sisters. Who can say? <laughs> like I said, there is no accepted list of Lithuanian deities. Yeah, yeah. So I can't even say conclusively that Lima and Lime are definitely deities mm-hmm. that are two separate deities or that are the same deity transliterated different ways. Can't prove any of that. Interesting. Yeah. So, so Giltane maybe has a relative. Okay. <laughs> That's some information for you. That's some net zero information for you. <laughs> she is also associated with owls. And I saw, I found one mo- modern 
reconstruction source that claims she was originally thought to be a different goddess who is like represented as a dreadful owl mm -hmm. who does her dreadful hoot when <laughs> when there might be a death or a disaster like a bridge collapsing or a oh, fire kind of like a banshee yeah like a banshee that like predicts crises okay and it was that and it was saying like originally they thought Giltine was that but actually she wasn't but she was associated with the owl anyway because of this okay <laughs> yeah which i have a feeling is a reference to some of the confusion between the 16th and 19th centuries, like I said, 16th century, about two centuries after the Christianization of Lithuania, some people started trying to write down Lithuanian myths. But in the 19th century, they looked back at that 16th century work and said, mm, most of that was fake. So I have a feeling that those, that confusion about the owl thing is probably related to this uncertainty about the authenticity of some right. of the stories we have. Because who was writing that down in the 16th century? Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. So, like I said, she she may or may not be associated with owls. She's usually now in the modern day associated, associated with owls. But the one thing that's like we're pretty sure about Giltane is her appearance. So she is presented as an old woman with pale blue dead skin mm -hmm. and she has white hair and notably they always point this out she has white eyelashes so like it's not like she's just gotten old and her hair has gone white she's got completely white hair naturally gotcha. and she wears a white cloak to disguise herself and she has a long poison tongue hmm. and they say that she licks corpses to gather poison onto her tongue and then if she licks a living person huh. She kills them. So not naturally poisonous. Yeah. And this is, again, where the sting comes in, because sometimes she doesn't have the poison tongue. She has a poison stinger. Interesting. Which produces its own poison. So we're, yeah. again, probably at, like, the authenticity of various myths being questioned and mm -hmm. uncertain. Mm -hmm. But so some versions of her have this poisonous stinger. Some versions of her have this long tongue where she licks poison off of corpses and then... When she has to kill someone, she licks them yeah. and they are poisoned. But it is her duty to kill people to preserve the natural order of the world. So, like, although she is scary and bad and no one likes her and she has a poisonous tongue, she is considered, like, essential to the function of the universe, basically. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. And that's why I think she maybe is supposed to be the sister of yeah. the fate goddess. Right, right. So I did have one more I want to share. Okay. Madaraka, again, Sami mythology. Madaraka, the first Aka, was the mother of the tribe, goddess of women and children who gives humans their bodies. Women and girls belong to her, as do boys, until they are declared men. And this is the reason I thought she was interesting. Madaraka is popular among modern Sami feminists. Hmm. So I thought that was cool. And then she's got three daughters. Saraka, who is the goddess of fertility, menstruation, love, human se sexuality, pregnancy. Juksaka, who is a protector of children. And Uksaka, who shapes the fetus in their mother's womb and assigns humans their sexes at birth. So, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> but no, the fact that she's uh, popular among Sami feminists, I think, mm -hmm. is really, really neat. So, yeah. In that case, Jackson, do you want to talk about your, your final deity real quick? I'm sure. <laughs> so, the last one I have is... Sarama from Hindu mythology. Okay. Uh, so she's a mythological dog, um, hmm. a female dog of the gods. Hmm. 
Um, so the interesting thing is in the earliest texts, it's not really actually made clear that she's like literally a physical canine. Mm. It's like later on that she gets dog ear. That yeah, that she, that is, that is made <laughs> more clear. In the apparently in the early Rig Vedic works, it's not clear, but in Vedic mythologies and interpretations she's yeah. described as a dog more more doggily yeah so she's the mother of all dogs hmm. particularly uh, f- uh two four-eyed brindle dogs of the god yama but like in particular hmm. also just all dogs and later on all animals okay in general so those were like all wild animals so those were like some specific important dogs yes but all dogs are her children uh-huh okay and I just, I don't know, I thought that was neat. So she has some power of light and and probably the dawn. <laughs> the dog goddess is associated with light and the dawn. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And so this is a direct quote from from something or another, uh, from a legend, a, a Rig Vedic legend. Okay. Uh, she, quote, must be a forerunner of the dawn of the dawn of truth in the human mind. A forerunner of the dawn of truth in the human mind. In the human mind. Let's unpack that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So there was just the reason why I wasn't sure I wanted to mention this one is it's so complex. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. like there's a lot going there's on a, there. There's so much going on, but also just mother of dogs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure I have enough time to get into Hindu mythology. Uh-huh. We gotta love dog mom. <laughs> forerunner? What was it? For- so it is, she must be a forerunner of the dawn of truth in the human mind. And Sarama is... The traveler and the seeker who does not possess herself the truth, but rather finds what is lost. What does a, what can a dog do? I was going to say, this is very dog, actually. Yeah. yeah. This is like instinct and, and like the, the, she the primal the impulse to track and trace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're on the right path, but that sounds but very that feels the, the, that vibe feels like it, it, it connects. Yeah. <laughs> So I would be interested to look deeper into it at some point. Yeah. But that's like the very, very brief, like two sentence overview of, of Sarama. Sarama, Sarama, mother of dogs and all wild animals, and apparently seeker of truth. That's very cool. <laughs> well, and I mean, humans were wild animals once. So yeah. maybe Sarama is in that way sort of representative of like the the instinctual part of a human before mm. before we get to like consciousness and philosophy and unpacking that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. And finding truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not for herself. For, for, for humans. For humans, yes. Yeah. Because dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because the relationship between dog and human is dog find thing for human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. We're definitely, we're, we're going to have to dig a little more into Sarama yeah. at some point. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have one more deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a Lithuanian god. Uh, and this one is Bangputis. Oh. Uh, B-A-N-G-P-U-T-Y-S. Okay. Bangputis. Um, who is the god, maybe, of the sea and storms. Maybe? <laughs> maybe. I mean, all of these have been maybe. Have been That's maybe. True. So the resources that I found said that... Lithuanian reconstructionists have on quote scanty evidence <laughs> concluded <laughs> that Bangputis is a god of the sea <laughs> and storms. 
I love that phrasing. Yes. So much. They're doing their best. They're doing their best with what they've got, which is not a lot. But we do have a image up. This isn't a thing I noticed about Lithuanian pantheons and mythology. We have lots of images of the god. Very, like, clear visuals of the gods. Don't know a lot about them beyond that. Interesting. But that, like, they must have been making a lot of art So their art of them, survived. Even though we didn't, yeah, even though we don't have, like, the oral storytelling mm-hmm. anymore, the art of them survived. That's fascinating. So it was a big art culture and oral tradition. It must have been, yeah, because, like I said, that's what we have. Like, we have... The Asvianii, we have them in on the roofs of right. Lithuanian houses mm. still today. Mm. We know what Giltane is supposed to look like. And we have a specific image of Bangputis. He is a bearded, winged man. He's naked, but we don't, like, he has no visible genitalia right. for whatever reason. Um, and he has two faces that point in opposite directions. And he is holding a fish in one hand. In the other hand, he's holding something that is just described as a utensil, because I don't think anyone knows what it is, but it looks like a very small barrel or cask or maybe some kind of fish basket that he's holding in one mm. hand, and he has a rooster on top of his head. So We have this image of Bangputis. I okay. find it fascinating that enough survived that you can attach names to To this imagery, yeah. yeah. We know who these images are. Right. We know what they looked like in very... pretty clear detail. Also, that is a very fascinating depiction. Yeah. I looked like I, I I saw the actual image, not just the the description of it. I saw the actual image. And like, it's like a pretty simple line drawing, but it has a lot of detail. Yeah. So a god of land and sea. I, Potentially. <laughs> a, a god of sea and storm is how he's mm. usually understood now. But yeah, like there does seem, there's clearly a dualism implied in the two yeah. faces. Yeah. And like I said, no one is quite sure what he's supposed to be holding mm. in the other hand. Right. Um, Dwyer says the two face is reminiscent of Janus. Yeah, mm, yeah. exactly. Um, there are a couple of two faced gods across um, mm-hmm. cultures, but. Bangputis is the only one who, where I'm just, based on what we know about him, I'm not sure why mm-hmm. he has the two faces. Almost wondering if maybe his, like, if maybe there is a story about, like, a couple of gods fusing together mm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, that we don't have. I don't know. But a very interesting visual depiction. Wish I understood what the rooster was about, because we have no explanation for the rooster. Mm-hmm. The fish makes sense if he's associated with, with the, the sea. sea. Like I said, they don't. The, it's literally in every description I could find, just called a utensil. Hmm. And I looked up, I looked up the image to try to figure out what the utensil was. And like I said, it's just like a, it's like a barrel shape that he's holding in one hand. It's actually seems to be over his hand or is covering his hand in some hmm. way. Like you, you see his forearm and then this thing. And so it looks like a like a small barrel or a cask. And like I said, my best guess is that maybe it's some kind of fish basket or something like that. I wonder if it's some... Or like a crab trap. I wonder if it's some sort of mechanism or fishing thing that's just been lost to time and nobody remembers what, mm. it, what it is anymore. Yeah, I do wonder that if like... Some sort of technology that's just been lost. Yeah, if this was something Lithuanians used in their fishing culture. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it has to do with a rooster. Maybe this was where they kept eggs. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It could be anything. But like I said, no one seems to know exactly what that is that he's holding in his other hand. Hmm. Yeah, so. Which makes me wonder if somebody used to know how to do it uh-huh. back in the, like 14, 15, 1600s yeah. and it just got lost uh-huh. to time. Yeah, yeah. And we just don't have it anymore. And we, it was probably made out of wood, so we don't have any evidence of it anymore either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but he is 
Like I said, we have that really, that really, really clear depiction of him. He is usually characterized now as being vengeful, austere, and unrelenting. Mm. Um, that would fit the story. Exactly, in character. Um, there is one story in which a, a mythological being who is like sort of a god and sort of a hero, sort of a Hercules figure, um, who is the son of, I think, a deity and one of the, one of the east winds, mm. there are a couple of east winds in Lithuanian mythology, um, is swimming in the sea and causes a storm. Like this hero causes a storm in the sea by swimming. Mm -hmm. And Bangputis is so angry about this, maybe because it was like stealing his thing, that he drowns this person. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be where the uh, unrelenting um, and vengeful okay. characterization comes from. But the, other, the only other thing we have about Bangputis is that he is the father of the four winds. We don't know who their mother is, just that Bangputis is their father. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with Al. The rooster on his head kind of belies that portrayal of sea and storms. That's why yeah. I'm like, is he land, land and, and sea? sea? Yeah, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't under, I don't know where the rooster thing comes from. I'm, it's not clear mm. where the two-faced thing comes from. Unless, yeah, maybe he was originally land and sea or... Maybe the, I mean, I guess you could maybe argue that the two faces are supposed to be sort of the mercurialness of storms. Mm. It's it's really, really unclear yeah. what that that visual is. Interesting. Rochala says, unrelenting and vengeful is pretty common in some interpretations of sea gods. Yeah, yeah the description true. of his behavior sounds very Poseidon-y, mm -hmm. I will say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, like I said, there are, there are some mysteries about Bangputis that are like real, that feel really intriguing to me mm -hmm. um even more so than some of the like i wish i knew who giltane's sister supposedly right, was right. but the thing i'm really fascinated about is like what is this thing bang putis is holding and why does, right. he, have why does he have a rooster on his, on his head why does he have two faces why is he depicted this way yeah. what does this mean because obviously it means something yeah because whoever the you, artist was exactly you don't create a god who looks like that right like you don't create a art of a god with that kind of like extremely distinctive visual for no reason. Yeah. So roosters actually, I was trying to remember where I know about mythology and roosters. <laughs> so roosters, they look kind of goofy as animals, but they actually symbolize readiness. And when they crow, it can symbolize a warning. True. Mm. So it could be that the rooster is supposed to be sort of yeah. So when you think about roosters, associated with the storms and the when you the think threat. about roosters, you might want to think about region mm -hmm. and region specific. They might not be as as goofy as mm, as we consider them yeah, to be. That is true. That's true. <laughs> Dwyer says I have a vague memory that somehow roosters are associated with storms, but that could be UPG. Yeah, it's one of those like I know roosters are integral to a couple of myths, and yeah. I cannot for the life of me remember which ones that I was trying to find them but Rochelle says that sounds like art about a specific myth yeah it does doesn't yeah. it yeah and, and like I said I wish we knew what yeah. any of this was about it's, isn't it a shame that these things have been lost yeah. to time but at the same time it's sort of beautiful I think that mm -hmm. that we do have this kind of art, art from yeah. the, the, the Lithuanian pagans like mm -hmm. that was preserved yeah it might, that stuck around it might just be Harry Potter but I do think roosters can kill basilisks maybe is that, is I don't that just I Harry don't Potter? I'm I don't remember. I don't remember that being a thing. Ran and Gray says, definitely know the rumor about roosters always crowing before a storm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah, that would make sense because they are probably calling in the hens. Also, yes. 
that is not just Harry Potter. Roosters can kill basilisks in okay. mythology. Oh, okay. Um, so because basilisks are hatched out of chicken eggs or something. Yeah, yeah. portent to, to yeah. more dangerous things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense then. Sort of, but again, sort of. <laughs> I wonder like what exactly yeah, the connection like, what is here. What is the connection? How did he get this thing on his head permanently? Yeah, <laughs> and is it permanently, or right. was this like an incident from a specific story? And yeah. now it's just always on him, right? Because and because this the is the only image we have of Bunkwudis. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, cool, interesting deity who I have so many questions about and wish I had answers for. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of these were very interesting, mm-hmm. you know, very interesting deities. Some just, yeah, some of these questions we'll just never have answers yeah, for. Yeah, we'll just never have answers for some of these. Um, or at least we'll never have the, the answers from the antiquity. The original answers, yeah. yeah. I do hope the reconstruction efforts go well. Yeah, I mm-hmm. hope that, that people are able to maybe develop new answers. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the 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 traditional or, or the original original answers yeah. are lost. To yeah, time. we're just, just we're just not going to get those back. Mm-hmm. So you might as well fill in the space with something, you know, yeah. while acknowledging that it's not the original answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's how religions are built in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there is a um, a Lithuanian reconstruction religion practice mostly in Lithuania, but uh, in a couple of other places as well. So mm, that's good. I hope that's that good. they uh, I hope that they make good progress on that. I hope so too. Mm. I think and I hope neat. that they share it with the world because I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's neat that all these uh, Eastern European and these other you know and these various cultures, the Norwegians and you know all these different cultures who had lost, mm-hmm. their, are starting to pick up the pieces. Yeah, they're starting to pick up the pieces of their of their past, of their mythologies, of their deities, and bring it back yeah. to yeah. life. I think that's very cool. On a completely different note, Rhiannon Gray says, apparently basilisks are also weak to the odor of the weasel, which, according to Pliny, was thrown into the basilisk's, basilisk's hole, recognizable because some of the surrounding shrubs and grass had been scorched by its presence. <laughs> Pliny always had some wild shit to say. Oh, I love Pliny. Pliny. Thank you for your input, Pliny. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap this episode up, I think. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Then you can find us on Google if you Google the number three and the words Pagan Sunday Cat or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C. You can also find us online at the number three PaganSundayCat.com where we have links to a variety of things that we do, including our Patreon where you can help support us and to Gwyn's Patheos Pagan blog, which she doesn't really update anymore. It's been a minute. Uh Uh-huh. But she does (laughs) update very often her TikTok. I do. (laughs) So you can also look her up on that. Yep. Uh, Jackson, I don't think you have any public internet presence. Not currently. Yeah. So you can't find Jackson anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And can I also just say happy Lunasad? Oh, yes. Happy Lunasad. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's an important holiday for Jackson because he works with Lou. (laughs) I do. And it snuck up on me. (laughs) (laughs) You've had a lot of stuff on your Got a lot going on. Yeah. A lot going on. Just crochet him something. It'll be (laughs) fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) All right. So goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.